0: Well, if you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. It's good to see you this morning, church. Excited to hear how God is stirring your heart as you've been reading the Word. So grateful for you and your hunger for the Word. And we're going to dig in this morning to the book of Genesis. So if you could open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to begin our series entitled, Seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And I'm delighted to enter into this with you. Genesis 1, verse 1 is our Scripture this morning. And as you're making your way to your seats, open up your Bibles and uh, read along uh, with me as I begin in Genesis one one. in a moment. I was just thinking, I, I would love to see all of the church's full range of gifts on display as we go through this series. And if God inspires you through your reading and your study of the Word to create works of art. I, I would love to see what you create as an act of worship. And just excited. That was just a, an idea this past week. Actually, me and Shannon were talking, and Shannon was just uh, musing on how wonderful it would be just to see works of art come out of the inspiration that the Holy Spirit stirs as we go through the Scriptures together. So I'm excited about all that God's going to do but that was just one other avenue I wanted to throw out there. Um, I also am just excited about the Bible reading plan. There's hard copies available for you in the back if you weren't here last week. Um, and the, the plan that we have uh, as a church is to have a devotional plan for each month uh, for us that coincides with our series and the, uh, the book of the Bible that we're studying. And we're aiming to have a daily devotional thought on each reading on our Christ Community Church Facebook page. And so if you haven't yet uh, friended that page, um, jump on there. There's a lot of great information. We're also looking to just uh, interact more over the Word um, as a church family. So I'm excited about that. Um, And we're just really looking forward to enjoying the Bible together. And so let's read Genesis 1, verse 1, and we'll begin in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work, that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. God, we're so excited to embark on this series in Genesis and to see the very beginning, Lord, and to see that you were there. And we are asking you, Holy Spirit of God, to enlarge our vision of you, Almighty God. Help us to see how great and how awesome you are, our awesome Creator. And Lord, strengthen us through your word. Help us to see the glory of Christ even in the midst of the book of Genesis. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just to give you an idea of the the setting and the historical background that's taking place here in the book of Genesis, the the date is around 1446 B.C. when the Exodus begins with Moses. I know the Exodus hasn't happened yet because we haven't... um, We haven't gotten to the book of Exodus. But it seems that the book of Genesis most likely began after the Exodus when Moses was leading the first generation of Israelites out of Egypt. The Holy Spirit, through Moses, wrote Genesis. From between that time and 1446 B.C. approximately when they leave Egypt to the time of Moses' death, estimated at 1406 B.C., 40 years later, and that's most likely when Genesis was written, we, we need to discern the original author's intent to his original audience whenever you interpret the Scriptures. And here, it seems to be a, a capturing of the story of creation that was actually passed on by word of mouth, father and mother to children down through the days of Noah, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all the way to the times of Moses, where Moses finally compiled a history of the creation story, and the story of man and his fall into sin, his removal from the land of the Garden of Eden, and the promise of God to redeem man through the seed of the woman, or the offspring of the woman, was promised later on in Genesis 3. And one day, God also promised he would bring his people to the promised land. And so this is a group of people in the wilderness receiving a book that highlights again and again that God is a God who has promised that we are going to get established into the promised land. Do you think that that would be an encouragement to you in the wilderness? And there you get a sense of the original author's intent to his original audience, Moses' Writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes this to the first generation of Israelites in the wilderness wanderings and no doubt it greatly encouraged them with how great and how awesome God was and is. Genesis 1 through 11 is about humanity in general and Genesis 12 through 50 actually starts to hone in on God's chosen people, the people of Israel and God's special covenant that he enters into with the people of Israel, and the the promise that one day they would be delivered out of the wilderness and into the promised land. The book of Genesis gave the people of Israel, who first heard it, understanding that God created them. And God is the one who, despite man's fall into sin, is a God of grace, promising a landless, childless Abram that he would have a promised son and enter into the promised land. Oh, brothers and sisters, what a glorious book, and it has great implications for us today as well. The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So, just as it was relevant to the first generation of Israelites in the wilderness wanderings, it is just as relevant and alive to us Today, And I'm excited to see the book of Genesis come alive into our hearts and to get a glimpse, a greater glimpse of how awesome our creator is. And that's the title of the message this morning, Awesome Creator. Genesis 1 answers the the question of beginnings, which is what Genesis means and how everything came into being. And so we're going to look at that now. (laughs) Before we jump into that, though. I want to explain to you that there are attributes of God that are communicable and there are incommunicable attributes of God as well. Incommunicable attributes belong to God alone. Where communicable attributes can be shared by humans. God is loving and we are loving. Incommunicable, and I love the incommunicable attributes of God, they belong to God alone. And if you want to just encourage your heart in the midst of your wilderness wanderings on the way to the promised land of heaven that every true believer in Christ is heading to in this room. If you are weary in the wilderness of this dry and weary land where there's no water on your journey toward heaven in this life, in this fallen world, then the book of Genesis has got something for you. And there are great encouragements that come when we study The incommunicable attributes of God. And this chapter is loaded with them. Example of the incommunicable attributes would be God's eternity. That God has existed for all eternity, but we have not. God's unchangeableness or his immutability. That's my wife Shannon's favorite attribute of God. God's immutable. God does not change. Man changes. God never does. And I love the immutability of God as well. Also, an incommunicable attribute of God is his omnipotence. God is all-powerful, and we are not. And So we're going to look at three points this morning. The first is God's eternity. We're going to look at God's eternity. Secondly, God's omnipotence, two incommunicable attributes of God, and then finally, God's creation so god's eternity god's omnipotence and god's creation let's look firstly at god's eternity you see it right in the very beginning in genesis 1 1 and let's just enjoy ourselves as we read god's word together let the balm and the healing of god's word come home into your heart as you see how awesome god is and it's it's just awesome right from the beginning in the beginning, God. What a great opening to the book. And what a great first line of the Bible. In the beginning. Well, what was going on in the beginning? Well, we know as we study all throughout Genesis through Revelation, that our triune God, three and one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, were in glory. In John 17, verse 5, the Word of God says as Jesus Christ is praying for us the night before He goes to die on the cross for our sins, He prays this to His Father. And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. That's just awesome. Christ, the Son, and God, the Father, and God, the Holy Spirit, in glory together. Nothing's been created yet. But God is glorious. And Christ is with His Father. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me that Jesus calls the mind in prayer, the remembrance of of the inter-Trinitarian fellowship that he had with the Father before the world was even created. As he's going to a- die on the cross for our sins, it, just, it causes me to marvel. I, I was meditating on it this week, and I just couldn't help but cry. At the second person of the Trinity, our Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering the glory that he had with the Father from before the world existing. That, that's just awesome. And let us just enjoy the many sightings of Christ and the many just marvelous musings that we can meditate on. Use your imagination and wonder what it was like for Christ to be able to call that to mind in that beautiful high priestly prayer in John 17. Read John 17 and let that minister to your soul in the midst of the wilderness wanderings. Later on in that same high priestly prayer, Jesus speaks and says to his father, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. So there's glory that Jesus had with the Father before the world existed, and there's also a description of the Father loving the Son before the foundation of the world. That's what's going on in these three little first words in the beginning. Because nothing else is going on. It's just God. From eternity past, it's just God. In glory, loving, Father to Son, Son to Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to Father, Holy Spirit to Son, and, and the three persons of the Trinity are one God existing in glory. And there's this glimpse here in the high priestly prayer of Jesus of not just the inter-Trinitarian glory, but the inter-Trinitarian love that existed from before the foundation of the world. Psalm chapter 90. The Word of God says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God's eternal. This is the doctrine of God's eternity. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In the beginning, before even the mountains were brought forth, Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. See, the Lord wants to give you a, a great glimpse of how awesome how great He is to, to break us out from underneath of the yoke of just being day in and day out in our small worlds and help us to see an eternal God that's great and glorious. Ephesians 1, 3 through 3-6, the Word of God says, "'Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places.'" Look at this. This is awesome. This is what's going on in the beginning, before anything was created. Even as he chose us in him, speaking of Christ, he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. So before you were created, you were chosen, believer. You were beloved by God. He chose you in him, the apostle Paul says, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us, In the beloved. And and by the way, I just want to thank God for Peg Hopewell and also uh, Scott Wagner just for the blessing they are in projecting these scriptures for us each week. And Andrew, thank you for serving as well. So grateful for the many men and women who serve our church so faithfully. Aren't we so blessed? Yeah, amen. One Christian writes that there was not anything created before the heaven and earth were. Hence, whenever you read the phrases, before the foundation of the world and before the world began, they are expressive of eternity. (laughs) I don't know why it affects me so much just to think of God. God. Existing in eternity past, I remember as kids, being my sisters marveling as we would think about the question that our children can ask us, when did God begin? He never did. It's, it's the simplest things, the simplest question that we ought to have an answer to, that we can only marvel with our children in mystery that God always was, and try to think back and to imagine a time in a great distance in the past when how could God have existed from all of eternity? It's meant to bolster your heart and strengthen you in the midst of your wilderness wanderings. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Omega. The beginning and the end. This is in Revelation chapter 22. It's interesting that we're we're looking at Genesis 1, but Revelation chapter 22, the Word of God says, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Eternal, omnipotent Creator, we worship you. God always was. What do you do with that? How do you apply that to your life? You just, you just worship. You worship and just say, you're awesome. You are greater than we can imagine. Too beautiful for us to fathom. Thank you, Tom and worship team. For guiding us into singing those songs this morning. The second point we're going to look at is God's omnipotence. That was God's eternity. Secondly, God's omnipotence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love this. After that three-word phrase, in the beginning, it's got the, the best word. God, in the beginning, God. This word... For God, in the Hebrew, is Elohim. It's the word that is plural in form. The root of the word speaks to great power and strength and might. Omnipotent power. And the root of the word is lasting, binding, firm and strong. The strong and mighty one. It means that God is an omnipotent creator. This word Elohim is used of God upwards of 2,000 times in the Old Testament and is exclusively employed in this present section here in Genesis 1. Christians might also well see in the plurality of the word, the plurality of the persons in the divine trinity as well. God. strong and mighty. He's omnipotent in power. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit engaged in the creative work. Elohim, that God is the strong and mighty one, is meant to encourage us this morning who are feeling weak, who are feeling weary. Let us take heart as we ponder the great might and strength of God who created the heavens and the earth and who also not just created the stars but also is mindful of us. The third and final point is God's creation. God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Creation in its strict sense is is producing something here Out of nothing, it contains an idea that's so high and so elevated. The word is rendered "bara." It's used especially of the acts of God in doing or calling into existence something new or marvelous. And the Latin phrase is "ex nihilo," or out of nothing. God created out of nothing. There was no pre-existing eternal matter that God created with. The Word of God just says, He speaks. And He created the heavens and the earth. He speaks and the universe comes into existence. Eternal, omnipotent Creator, we worship you. And what an object for adoration and praise. What a foundation for confidence and hope that we can have in this wonderful Creator, this wonderful God. As it says in Hebrews 11, verse 3, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. What is seen right now was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke everything that we now see into existence. God created matter. Matter is not eternal, God is eternal. God created life, and all life has and must be created and sustained by God. Even right now, it's important to note that he is sustaining the universe, Christ is, by the word of his power. You may have heard the story of the the secular atheistic scientist who says to God, Hey, uh, we scientists have figured out how to make life from dirt. Just as described in that book of yours, Genesis. God says, oh yeah? Scientist says, yep. God says, show me. The scientist says, no problem. And so the scientist started to gather some dirt. And just as he was about to start working with it, he was interrupted. God says, hold it, Stop. Scientist says, what? God says, what are you doing? Scientist says, I'm gathering some dirt to generate life, just as described in your book. And God says, get your own dirt. (laughs) I love that. We rise up in our modern technology and think that we're doing something great as man. Not recognizing that everything that we work with is pre-existing matter. Why does anything exist? It's Because God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 33 verses 6 through 9 says that by the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the water of the sea as a heap. He Puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Look at that verse 9 again. He spoke and it came to be. The heavens and the earth came to be because God spoke them into existence. Again, that's just awesome. You got to just stop and marvel at this. He wasn't working with anything. He just speaks. I've said this before, and I love to to meditate on this, but people talk about the Big Bang. I have no problem with talking about a Big Bang theory. Uh, God said, let there be light. Bang, there was light. God created the heavens and the earth. I've got no problem with that being loud and awesome and epic. In its scope, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So God creates and he sustains. We as man cannot speak anything into existence. We can't speak matter into existence. We cannot create matter and we cannot create life. Only God can create matter. Only God can create life. It's everything that we see been created by God and he deserves all the glory for it let there be light the word of God says and there was light in verse three it says in verse two that the earth when the earth was created was at first it was without form and void so when God first created the heavens and the earth there was a a form a formlessness and a void that was created and then There was a darkness that was over the face of the deep. And so God goes about the process of creating over the six days. And he increasingly throughout the six days, he brings more and more order out of the chaos of the darkness. More and more light into the darkness. More and more order out of that which was without form. It's important to note that there was a process involved with creation there were six days that he created the heavens and the earth in and man as well but this this description here god saying let there be light and there was light and god just speaking light into existence it's so interesting that in second corinthians 4 verse 6 there's a verse i really want you to just enjoy the word of god says this the apostle paul says for god Who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, the Apostle Paul here is comparing what happens here in Genesis 1 with what happens with us when we get saved. He has shown in our hearts. Our hearts were darkness. They were without form and void. Darkness covered our hearts. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ shined into our night and drove the dark away. And He's still bringing more and more order out of the chaos of who we are by the power of the Holy Spirit, hovering over the waters of our heart. That word literally is brooding over the waters. The the Spirit of God, or the Ruach Elohim, the breath, the wind of God Almighty, the Spirit of God Almighty, hovered over the waters, and we see the Spirit of God bringing more and more order into the chaos of that which was without form, and void. And that's the type of description that God uses to describe what happens when we're born again and saved. I, I, I know I've said this before, but it's something that's worth pondering. When God creates light, he just has to speak it into existence. It's like nothing for him. in order for God to speak light and shine the light into our heart and save us, He had to send His own Son to die on the cross before it could happen. Brothers and sisters, creation is an easy thing to God. Redeeming lost sinners like us with darkness covering over our hearts is another matter. Redemption was the hardest work that God ever accomplished. But God accomplished it. And the work is so glorious that when the Apostle Paul is is reaching for words to describe what has taken place in our souls when we've been born again and saved, like we have, believer, like we have, beloved, it's God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, and boom, you were saved. And boom, I was saved. And we have been snatched out of the fire, snatched out of eternal darkness that we were heading to. And now we're going to a heaven that we're going to enjoy forever in glorious light. To dwell with a God who dwells in unapproachable light. But now we're going to be given new eyes to see him face to face and enjoy him forever. Oh, brothers and sisters, marvel at the glory of this awesome God who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Are you excited to see the face of Jesus Christ this morning? Are you excited to see your awesome creator and sustainer of your soul and the one who is born with great patience, the process of your sanctification and growth, how slow we have been to change just by way of application here. And you may have picked up on it when we read throughout Genesis 1. At the end of every day, creation isn't finished yet. And yet God says, and God said that it was good. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. It's, it's, and at the end of the day, it's like, it's very good. <laughs> It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, all the way. But it's important to note that at the end of day one, all of creation hasn't happened yet. But God's perspective on it is, it's good. And as we look at the process of sanctification in our own lives, let us remember that God's perspective is over our souls, it is good. He sees what he's doing in your life right now and says it is good. And as we have eyes that scan over the work of God in our spouse's life. Let us see at beginning of day one that God sees that it's good and let us also acclaim it's good. Our spouse isn't the person yet that they're going to be in heaven and we want to be the type of person that thanks God and says it was good at the end of day one when day five hasn't happened yet. As we look at our children's lives, let us look and say it is good. Oh, it is very good what God is doing. Let there be a spirit in our church as our church is going forward into its future of enjoying and savoring the work of God in the process of Christian growth and maturity and the individuals in the church and in in the church as a whole. But as we think of our spouse, as we think of our loved ones that are saved, and let us not be the type that constantly at the end of day one, say, well, where's day two at in your life? Where's day three, four, five, and six? Come on. A a, a gracelessness that doesn't look and see and say that, oh, it's very good what God's doing in your life. I know, son, that you're only in day one. I know, daughter, that you're only at the end of day two. But you know what? Your heavenly father looks down upon you and sees that it is very good. And your daddy does too. Your mommy does too. Let us have a grace set of eyes as we look at our loved ones and our family members and our friends. Let us not be the type of Christians that are always saying, you know, you're giving your best, but your best isn't good enough for me. Let us look at the end of day one and say, it was very good. Because the process of sanctification was also a process in relation to God and creation. God likes processes. He likes to do things all at once. But he also likes the process of six days and taking his time. God's omnipotent. It didn't need six days for him to create. And we marveled that God took it in six days and did the whole entire universe in six days. That's a busy week. That's a busy week. But it didn't need or require six days. God could have got it done in one. But there's something that God teaches us in the fact that it was a process. And I think we need to apply that into our lives and celebrate the process of things becoming more and more orderly out of the chaos of what they currently are. But as it's still formless and still experiencing darkness. Let us do everything we can to see the good in what God is doing with where the work currently at is instead of constantly saying, it should be here, God. It should be there, God. I know that's something I want to really excel in as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a friend. Let us be that way for the glory of God. Amen. Well, there's so much to learn from the six days of creation. I just want to fly through them right now. Day one, there was light. Day two, there was the expanse. Day three, the earth and the seas and vegetation, fruit bearing trees. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, fish. And day six, animals and man. And day seven, God rested. God begins with light, and I referenced the Second Corinthians 4 passage. But the second day, the expanse, the, the waters were created above the heavens. There was this expanse separated from an expanse. There's another word for it, it's the firmament, separated from the firmament. It's referenced in Psalm 148, 4, where the psalmist praises God, says, praise him, you highest heavens, and you waters, Above the heavens. It seems that what the Lord did here was He separated the waters uh, that were on the earth from the waters that were also in the heavens. And there was a sphere of water, it seems, that circled the earth. It may have actually been the sphere of water that the Lord actually brought down with the flood that covered over the whole earth. And so this happens in day two. Day three, the earth and the seas were created, and more orders being brought out of the chaos. And one of the things that's wonderful about day three, and I just was marveling at this in my study, um, it seems that in day three, there were angels present. (laughs) This is just great. To praise God as the foundation of the earth was being laid. In Job chapter 38, listen to God's word here. Uh, Where were you, God says, when I laid the foundation of the earth? He's saying to Job. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? And here's this description. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. In my study, the references to morning stars and sons of God are references to angelic creation worshiping God as he's laying the foundations of the earth and they're shouting for joy. I mean, how awesome is heaven going to be? Day four, the greater and lesser lights and stars, more and more specifically, are ordering of the light for the earth specifically. Light had already been created, but again, moving from from more chaos to more and more order, God specifically brings, you can call it, stage lighting for the earth, because this is going to be his stage where he does his work, not just of creation, but also of redemption as well. And there, you see sort of this earth-centricness here in Genesis 1, and, and you wonder a little bit as to why that might be. It's, it, remember that earth is the stage, the spot, where God would perform his greatest work, his work of saving sinners in a city called Jerusalem on planet earth. Of all the universe. Earth is special because it's the place God has determined to display his glory. Of not just creation, but also redemption as well. It's unique in that regard. Psalm 19 verses 1 and 3, speaking of the greater lights and lesser lights, says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. One Christian writes, you, 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 can't even, you just open your eyes and you've got evidence of God everywhere. That's why it says in Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Because you open your eyes and it's just God everywhere. Evident, it's pouring for speech. Believe in me. Trust in me. Look and see that I exist. And I'm a rewarder of those who earnestly Seek me. It's interesting. I think this is actually captured better in the NIV where it actually talks about in verse 16. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. There's actually a pause in the NIV, I believe. It actually says, and he also made the stars. Like, that gets like a half sentence. It's almost like a throwaway line. And God also made the stars. It's like the equivalent to God sending a text. Yeah, that, that's what it's like for me to make the stars. What are we dealing with here? In terms of the being of God. That stars gets like a half line of like, yeah. The brevity seems to speak to the absolute supreme power and majesty and awesomeness of our great, awesome God and Creator. One scientist used a very rough estimate that there are 10 trillion galaxies in the universe. Multiplying that by the Milky Way's estimated 100 billion stars results in a large number indeed. (laughs) A one with 24 zeros after it stars, of which he knows them by name, Isaiah 40 says, and he calls them each by name. There's only about 5,000 stars visible to the naked average human eye. And because the earth itself gets in the way, you can only see about half of those When you look up in the night sky, I've heard an estimate of 2,500 to 3,000 stars. That when we look up there, that's what we see every night. And we just marvel at it. It's just so amazing to look up and just see those stars. And one of the things I've been marveling at in these really cold, frigid nights, have you ever noticed how clear the stars shine through? Let it pour forth speech. Look up and see the grandeur of the majesty of God, brothers and sisters. Let creation pour forth speech into your weary soul and in your wilderness wanderings about how great God is. Because we look up and we're like, oh, Lord, how majestic you are. And God's like, "Um, that's about 3,000. You got no idea what I'm doing. Such a description of my, my, my small little life looking up and thinking I'm seeing everything in God's list. Like, I've got things going on back behind all that. You can't even imagine. Verse 16 says, and he also made the stars. <laughs> Day five, the fish. You know what's so awesome about the fish? I I just, I don't know if, I love like Planet Earth and those types of documentaries. Like send down the probes down into the seven mile depths of the Marianas Trench and keep finding new species down there. Keep going, man. Keep going and trying to find the majestic glory of God up in the heights and also down in the depths. Psalm 8's got this great line in it. It's almost humorous. It just says... (laughs) when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you're even mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him, yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. That's talking about us being created in the image of God. Being crowned with glory and honor, like it says in verse 26 later on in the chapter. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field. And then he goes to the fish, the birds of the fi- the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea. And then there's just this great line: whatever passes along the paths of the seas, there's just awesome stuff down there. I remember not too long back seeing that there was this like vampire octopus that they discovered. Never saw light before until the probe hit it. And it, like, inverted, and there's, like, spikes and, like, crazy big blue eyes and giant squid and, like, that's awesome. It's an endless source of curiosity, and it should be for us to just marvel at whatever (laughs) passes along the paths of the seas. And God's not done on day six. It's animals and man. Every time you see animals, praise God for the variety of the different species of animals that God has created. And then marvel that God has made man in his image. Verse 26, again, like the plural form of the word Elohim, gives a description again. Let us make man in our image. And we see once again the plural language used about God speaking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, creating man in His image. I want you to ponder the dignity, the value of man in God's eyes. The One who made the stars made man as the pinnacle of His creation. I want you to ponder the image of God in man and let that encourage you this morning as we head toward the close here. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Weight of Glory, describes that one of the things that the image of God is, in man being created and being created in the image of God ought to do is it ought to lead us to understand this. There are no ordinary people. Lewis says, You have never met a mere mortal. We ought to have a love for all the peoples of the earth, regardless of nationality what nation they are from, we should see the dignity and the value that God places on man that he would create man in his own image. The world and the culture, they put supreme emphasis on self-worth. And self-worth is what we should be driven by. We should avoid that, brothers and sisters, And that tendency to be excessively focused on self-worth. While, listen carefully, while at the same time joyfully recognizing that there is a, please hear me, there is a value and a worth that we have in the eyes of God that ought to uplift our souls right now. God is mindful of us. He cares for us. He loves us. So much so that he says... Speaking of the sparrow. You are worth more than many sparrows to me. You are, you are of great worth in the eyes of God. You are loved deeply. You are cherished by our awesome creator. You are created brother. You are created sister in the image of God. Unbelievers are created in the image of God. And deserve the dignity and respect as we look at the lost in the world, we should look and have a heart of seeing the image of God even in the lost. But also, let it encourage us in our wilderness wanderings. Creation speaks. What good does God want to speak to you today? God rested on the seventh day. And institutes here the principle of the Sabbath where we rest and we need to rest. But it also points, this first set of days points to the last days. When all who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ will lay all their earthly troubles down and enter into what heaven is described as in Hebrews 4 as the promise of entering the Sabbath rest of Jesus Christ. One Christian writes, the writer to the Hebrews begs his readers not to make the same mistake by rejecting God's Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ. There remains then, Hebrews 4 says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from His. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. That's Hebrews 4, 9-11, through and then the author writes this. There is no other Sabbath rest besides Jesus. He alone satisfies the requirements of the law, and He alone provides the sacrifice that atones for sin. He is God's plan for us to cease from the labor of our own works. We dare not reject this one and only way of salvation. There is one and only one way of salvation, my friend. There is only one place for you to find Sabbath rest eternally when you die. And that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust in Him this morning. And church, trust and rely on Him afresh this morning. And remember that there is a Sabbath rest that awaits you. After your wilderness wanderings in this fallen world are over, just like the Israelites made it to the promised land, you and I are going to make it to the promised land as well. And we will enter into this Sabbath rest forever. It's first signified here and pointed to as God rests on the seventh day after creation. After all of our earthly labors are through, we'll enter into the eternal rest where we'll enjoy the finished work of Christ forever as Christ is our Sabbath rest. So Christ Community Church, let us reflect that our eternal, omnipotent Creator is worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Let us give thanks to Him for how awesome He is as we close in worship. Worship Man, why don't you come forth and we'll sing to this awesome God and join the angels who are singing in joy right now in heaven. We're going to join in song in closing and praise God for how awesome He is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You so much for Your goodness. Thank You for Your omnipotent power. Thank You that You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Thank You that You are the creator of all things. Lord, you created all matter. You created all life. And there is nothing that exists apart from you. By your will and by your word, everything that we see has been created. Lord, we owe our existence. We owe the universe existence to you. We thank you so much for the way you have provided for all of our needs. You have not just created, but you've also sustained Thank you so much, Almighty God, for bringing more and more order out of the chaos of who we once were when we were lost and dead in sin. You have said, let there be light, and you've shined the light of salvation into our hearts so that we can even see Jesus and have understanding into him. Thank you so much for driving the dark away. Thank you so much, Lord God, for calling us out of darkness into your wonderful light. And thank you so much that after enjoying all of your creation throughout this entire lifetime. We're going to enter into our Sabbath rest and be with you, Jesus, forever. We cannot wait to worship you there, but we worship you now as your church, and we love you. So let us all stay in church, and let us praise God for how awesome he is. In closing, I had a sense from the Holy Spirit that there are those here, the phrase uh, in the song, um, drive our dark away, there's some who are tempted to just despair over their sin, that there's no way that these deeply entrenched patterns could ever be broken free from in their lives, and there's others who are carrying burdens right now that just seem like impossible burdens, there's... I don't know how in the world, Lord, I could ever be delivered out from the, just the oppression and the difficulty and the the hardship of, the, of this trial. And I believe the Lord would just remind you, remind you and I this morning, that He is the omnipotent Creator who created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And He is still the God who creates out of nothing. Do not look to the arm of flesh, but look to God's arm and put your trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Almighty God, I pray that you would help us to do that. Strengthen our faith this morning as we look at all the circumstances and difficulties in our life. Help us to remember that there's nothing too difficult for you. Help us to remember That with man, it's not possible, but with God, all things are possible. And so, Almighty God, I pray that you would dislodge doubts and fears and cause fresh faith to rise up, Holy Spirit, in the hearts of your dear precious people this morning. And give us strength on this journey, Lord God, as we are in the wilderness these days. Help us to remember that this is a happy ending that we're heading toward. A heaven that's going to be eternal with our God who is both the Alpha and also the Omega, the beginning and the end. We are going to be with you, enjoying you, Almighty God, forever. And we thank you so much for sending Jesus to make it all possible. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, have a great week. God bless you.